Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Well, all right. Good morning, uh, The Door Church. Welcome. We're um, very excited that you're here, uh, our friends and our family. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Darren Smith. I'm a non-staff elder and a member of the preaching team, and I'm excited to to bring the Word of God uh, this morning. Uh, Before we get uh, going and dive into it, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we come to you today, and we humble ourselves at the cross. Um, We... we, um, crucify ourselves, we crucify our hopes and dreams, and we look at you, um, and we say, take it all. And um, I pray today that you would um, give us that humility. I pray that you would help us to see what you see, to hear what we should, and to have the wisdom that you have. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are uh, in the middle of a three-part sermon series um, on our vision, as that video said. Um, And we're calling this a decade of development. Now, when you think about a decade, it is both very long and a very short uh, period of time. And um, all of you with children know that uh, when you also start your career, you kind of sit down at your desk and you say 40 more years of this, and it goes by uh, in the blink of an eye and in a second. And if you're not careful, um, you, you can just have life happen to you. So you can just kind of get into this, this rut and this mundane life and it can just happen to you and you can kind of just drift and go through life without much strategy or vision um, or, or direction. And we're very mindful of all of that. We're mindful of the fact that a decade is quick and that if we're not careful, uh, life can just come and can happen to us. And so uh, we as a church believe that it is very important to talk about our next 10 years Where will we be in the year 2032? And I know that's a crazy question somewhat, but it will be here if the Lord wills before you know it. And so we as the elders have been praying and seeking the Lord's guidance in this direction. And so we are taking three weeks to share our vision with you. Now, um, when you think about your vision, uh, there's really two components to that, all right? The first one is your mission, Um, Your mission and your vision are separate, but they go together. So let's explain it this way. A mission is what you're doing today. So when you wake up every day, that's the mission. And so you try to accomplish it. And it becomes your strategic lens. So if you wonder um, every day what the church uh, does when they wake up and they come in, they have the mission on their mind. And that mission is to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory. And that has not changed. And in the life, lifespan of the church, that has not changed and that is not changing today. But what happens when you accomplish your mission over time? When you're faithful to that mission over time, where does that take you? What does that look like? If we're faithful every day in our mission to see lives restored, where do we go? And so your vision really builds on that mission and it describes your dreams and your ambition for the next 10 years. These are your your long-term goals, and that's what we're calling a decade of development. In our decade of development, our vision is that for the next 10 years, 
We will work to raise up men and women to be ministers for Christ in the harvest. We intend to equip and send at least 10 men out to plant new campuses or churches. So there's two parts of that. We want to raise up the church, and then we want to send them out. That's the vision of the door church. Now, as you start to share um, a 10-year vision, it makes me a little uh, uneasy uh, whenever I'm talking about myself or my career. Um, you know, it's a little uneasy because um, I like to caveat things, right? And I say, well, if this happens and that happens, um, but we're being bold in this and we're trusting God. And also, we are very mindful of the words in the book of James <laughs> where he, he warns you, don't be foolish uh, when you boast and you brag about the things that you're going to do. He says, instead, you should say, if it is the Lord's will. And so uh, we were talking about it. We put a little asterisk on our vision, right? And the asterisk is, if it is the Lord's will. And while we don't have guarantees in our vision and, in, and on this long-term strategy, we do have this absolute guarantee. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And so he is going to take care of this. And so we come to him. We have this vision. We lay it at his feet. We pray about it. But we also have open hands in the sense that we say, Lord, your will be done. And if your vision is a different way, show it to us and let us get on board with that. But nevertheless, we think it's important to throw it out there and to talk about it and move and drive towards it. So when we talk about this decade of development, and we talk about maturing and, and then sending people. There's really three parts of that. The first one is maturing by beholding Christ. The second is living on mission. And the third is multiplying leadership. Do you see that? You see growing, living, sending, right? It's those three things, those three elements. Now, last week, we looked at this idea of what it means to, to be maturing by beholding Christ. And Scott taught us three things. He, we have three imperatives that we take away from that. Number one, we must saturate our souls with Jesus. Number two, we must encourage each other to relentlessly pursue him. And number three, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. So if we are going to mature, we know that we have to do those three things. And so today we're looking at the second area of focus to accomplish our vision, and that is living on mission. So we're going to talk about having a missional mindset. Our passage today will come from 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. We're going to look at verses 11 through 21, and we're going to you know, come back there multiple times, so you might um, bookmark that. As you're turning there, I'll say this about uh, the, the letters to Corinth are extremely interesting. You know, Believe it or not, there were people who actually uh, thought Paul was full of it, right? <laughs> they didn't like him. They didn't respect him. Uh, they question him. They question um, him as an apostle, uh, and he, you know he he didn't murder uh, multiple Christians, right? So there is that. But they question all of that, and so he's writing First and Second Corinthians, and in many ways he's defending his apostleship and he's defending his ministry. So when we get to this passage, um, this is is one of those passages. Uh, in the Bible that are used to talk about missions and mission, missionary mindsets. And then the second, um, it has the most uh, succinct and content-rich explanation of the gospel in one sentence. Um, and we'll get to that, and we'll point those out. But just kind of keep that in mind um, as we get into 2 Corinthians. So let's read uh, beginning at verse 11. Therefore, 
Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God. So what does it mean to live on mission? So our, our topic, our, our, um, our title today is living on mission. What, what does that mean? What does that conjure in your mind? You know, sometimes I think if we're not careful, it, we, we think of the missionaries, right? Or, or we think of those short-term mission trips that people go on. Um, and while those are certainly part of it, that's not it. Living on mission is a life centered around the Great Commission. Um, A little bit of a spoiler alert. The mission statement that the door has, that's really a summary of the Great Commission. It's really a summary of what God and Christ told us to do. And living on mission is participating with him. Now, when I say that word participating, what I mean is union with Christ. So it's not workspace participation, it's union with Christ, we've become one with him, and so we're on mission with him. And it's a mindset. It is a mindset. So there's three things I want to look at briefly today from this passage, from those 10 verses. Number one, I want to look at our motive. If we are to live on mission, we have to have a clear and pure motive. Number two, I want to look at our mode, the the method or, or the role that we play, that we deliver this this message of of reconciliation. And then the third is that message itself. I want to look at being ministers of reconciliation and the message that we as a church, if we're going to accomplish our vision, must preach to ourselves and to those around us. So let's start with um, the, the, um, at the very beginning, um, it's a very good place to start, right? Um, Let's start with um, our motive. And we know that in our life, uh, motive is unbelievably important. And Paul starts there in verse 14. He says, for the love 
of Christ controls you because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. We have concluded that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God. He has reconciled us. And so therefore, that is what controls us. For the love of Christ controls us. Being on mission begins with that mindset. Now, when you read this, if you're not careful, um, you can make a mistake that I made. You can start to think about this in terms of your love for Jesus, right? So you can read that and you can say, for the love of Christ controls us. And you can start to think that this is something that, that you have, your love for Jesus. He did what he did. And now I love him so much that it motivates me. And, and now I'm ready to go out and to live on mission. And I, I think that that's missing the gospel. That's missing what Paul is saying that's not it. It's not your love for him. It's his love for you. And so the love of Christ that overflows is so compelling and it's so beautiful that you can't help but be controlled by it. It's the opposite. And we know this, that true motivation cannot come from you, right? You've heard that expression, the heart wants what the heart wants. So if you're just sitting there and you're thinking, I don't love I don't love God today. How can I make myself love God more? You know, go, go love God more, right? It, it, you can't. You can't do that. You can't make yourself love somebody in the sense of having emotional feelings about them. Now, love is a decision and a choice, but you can't make yourself have feelings. So if you're looking at this like feelings and that motivates you, you're looking at it wrong. No, rather, it's standing at the cross and being so overwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that it then motivates us and controls us. This is what Paul um, is talking about in Romans 5, verse 15. He says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. When we stand um, in the truth of that scripture it is so compelling that it begins to control us and it then begins to motivate us. Now, when you're thinking about stuff like this, I, I also like to say, well, what's the opposite? If I'm supposed to be controlled by the love of Christ, what is the opposite of being controlled by the love of Christ? It kind of gives us a 360 degree view. And I would propose to you today, and I think Paul is teaching us this, that the opposite of being controlled by the love of Christ is being controlled by the love of yourself, by the love of yourself. You see, it is possible to do the right things for the absolute wrong reason, and you miss the mark completely. Jesus himself gives us a very sobering warning in Matthew, the seventh chapter, where he's talking about the last day, and he says this, uh, verse 22, he says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It is possible for me and for you and for churches and for movements and for all those things to think that they're serving Jesus, but to really only be serving themselves. And we have a great distaste for this. This is um, a story as old as uh, the, the, the country that we live in. Um, almost from the beginning 
um, of, our, of our nation, uh, we know politicians started taking bribes and, and making decisions uh, based on self-interest, and that's distasteful to us. I mean, you don't have to go very far back into history that you see that. Politicians come and they tell us, they're like, you know, hey, we're doing this for you. We love you. We want this. This is great. And they push laws and measures through. And then we find out later on that they had interests in that, right? That they made money, that somebody that they knew got favorable treatment or, or whatever that is. And we can see that. And so even though maybe they were saying they were doing the right things, they were doing it for the absolute wrong motive. And that, that frightens me today. That frightens me today about myself. It frightens me for you and for us as a church. And as we launch into this vision, we have to be really careful about that. Are we doing this for Jesus? Are we doing this for his glory? Is his love so overwhelming to us that it compels us and controls us? Because motives matter. And so grace motivates this devotion. And when you come in contact with the the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, you know what that does? that then flows to other people. See, you can't truly go out these doors and love other people and bring them to Christ until you come in contact with the Nazarene, until you kneel at the cross, until you are so overwhelmed by that and that you're so taken back on it. Jesus actually points this out, I believe in some ways, when um, you remember when the, the um, rich young ruler, no, the wise uh, young man comes to him and says, you know, master, they're testing him. What's the greatest commandment? He says, love God. And he says, the second one is like that. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you first have to know God and love him and be so overwhelmed that we then go out. And so we can uh, try to have a missional mindset but unless we, we love the Lord and he has taken us over, we're just going to be going out there and going through the motions, and it's not going to truly be living on mission. You have to be crucified and then turn to others. And I will propose that that is the power source of your ministry. That is the motivation that keeps the engine running. So what can you do if your motivation is off? That's a big question, right? Uh, well, this, this next part's going to frustrate some people <laughs> um, because I can't give you five steps. Now, there are practical things that you can do to grow in discipline and, and, and love Christ more, but there's not like these five things that you can do, then all of a sudden your motivation is right. Because we're not talking about behavior modification today. But I think in those instances, we must stop. We must get off the treadmill of our good works And we must ask him for the power of motivation. That's the key, is to stop and kneel at the cross and ask him to give us that motivation. David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 10, he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold with me a willing spirit. You see... Paul is not calling us for just imitation of Christ, but union with him so that we are on mission. If we are going to be successful, we must receive the love of Christ and be one with him so that we love him, we love Jesus above everything. So when you deal with your motivation and you get um, kind of the understanding that that is the power that then sends you out, 
then you can turn your attention to the mode in which we will live on mission. How are we supposed to act? What is the role that we have been called to? Verse 16 says, from that now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So you're starting to change your mindset towards people. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to him and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So, We stand at the cross, we're overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. It controls us, it compels us, it sends us out, and it transforms us into ambassadors, ambassadors of reconciliation. Now, we know this term ambassador probably mostly from uh, political um, uh, settings, right? So we know there are ambassadors from the United States to all these countries. They live in an embassy. They are uh, an official representative of the, of the very head of the government. So they speak on behalf of the government. They're an official envoy. And they're, um, they're chiefly charged today with diplomacy. Keep us out of wars. Keep us out of um, trade wars and arguments and disagreements and just kind of keep the water smooth and don't, don't rock the boat. Now, that's a little bit different than what we're called to do, but you understand that diplomacy is bringing one side to the next. So essentially, they live in country A, but they represent country B. So they live somewhere, but they're not from there. That's not their home. And the interesting thing about them is that they serve a greater cause, um, I can't think of anything more terrible than being a diplomat and going to a different country because I choose not to live in a different country. I don't want to live in a different country. I want to live where I'm at. If I wanted to live in a different country, I would. You see, they are on mission. They have a different mindset than you and me. They, they're willing to live abroad and live amongst other people in another nation. The other thing is that They represent the country, our country, or their country, in a variety of situations. So I think sometimes we see, you know, movies and we see spies and all those things and the diplomats. And um, I'm sure that there's some some of that involved in it. But they also don't know on a day-to-day basis what's going to face them. They don't know if their embassy is going to be attacked. They don't know if someone's going to declare war, if there's going to be an international incident. I was reading or listening to a, a person talk about... Uh, uh, ambassador, and this ambassador lived in a foreign country. There was a domestic dispute about custody of children. The American citizen did not live in that country. She was trying to get custody of her children, right? And so there was this big legal battle, and they finally got the judge of that country to say, okay, the the American mom can have the kids. She must take them now. And and the the ambassador was like, well, she's not here. Uh, She's coming to the country. And he said, okay, well, she can go back with the dad. That was the, the end of this discussion. And the, the ambassador had to step in and take custody of those children. And they were laughing about the fact that that morning when they woke up, they had no idea that they were going to have to do that. And I share that because that's how it is to be an ambassador. You don't know what's going to come at you, what you're going to face in the world every single day. Also, 
they are on temporary assignment. So that's not their home. Again, they're going there, but that's not their home. They're, they're renting space. See, these people have different mindsets, and mostly they carry this message. Now, what I want to tell you today is that you are an ambassador. You are an ambassador for something, whether you know it or not. Now, in marketing and public relations, we call this brand ambassadors. Um, and you've probably heard that expression. It's people that love something so much that they've had such a great experience with something, they go out and they tell every single person about it. And so um, there's really no cool way to say this, but I drive a minivan. Um, never thought it was going to happen to me. Um, wasn't like in my life plan. Um, it's funny because all of you drive it too. If you go to the South parking lot, it looks like a Honda dealership out there with all that. It's like, what color of gray Honda minivan do you want? Um, so I drive a brownish gray uh, Honda minivan. And, and um, I'm not going to tell you it's cool. I'm not going to tell you it's for you. But when people ask me about it, you know what I tell them? It's the best car I've ever owned. It's the best car I've ever owned. Really? Yeah. It's reliable. It's somewhat affordable, although I don't question that anymore. Uh, and it's unbelievably useful, especially when you get two plus children. Now, it may not be for the rest of my life, but I'm proud of it. I love it. And when people ask me, I'm like, hey, I love it. You should check it out. Um, I was the same way with Croc shoes uh, before they got cool again, right? People are like, you're wearing Crocs? I'm like, best shoe I ever owned, right? You can wear it in a creek. You can wear it to a funeral. You can wear it to church in a pinch. You can wear it anywhere that you want, right? And I know that sounds silly, but I do that. I'm, I'm a message carrier. You're a message carrier, um, people say that all the time on Facebook. Does anybody know somebody who does this? Absolutely, right? You jump in. And so you are ambassadors, whether you know it or not. And those are for silly little things in our lives. How much more important is it for the glory of the gospel? The opposite of being an ambassador is being a citizen of this world. That's the opposite. So you're either here for Christ or you're immigrating to this world. You're immigrating here. You're thinking that this is your home. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to him. So we are to live here, but to represent this heavenly kingdom. I'm afraid that we live in the greatest nation. We live in an unbelievable state. We live in a beautiful city, in a community with master plan concepts, and our life is pretty good. And I'm afraid we might think this is home. I'm afraid that we're maybe getting settled here. I'm afraid that we don't remember that this isn't where we're citizens of. You see, Jesus is the perfect example of ambassadorship, isn't he? He leaves the, the beauties of heaven. The high king of heaven comes and lives with us for a time period to bring a message to us. And what he's telling us is your hearts have to change. Don't get enamored. Don't get enamored by our houses and, and our wealth and our 401ks. And hear me, those are all fine and good, but don't be enamored by that. That's not why you're here. 
You're, you're not here to see your kids go play major league sports. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But that's not the point. Their point is to have them with transformed hearts to be reconciled. You're not here to get a 401k and a retirement and to live the American dream, whatever that is. I don't know what that is anymore, but it's not, it's not what we think it is. We're here to be ambassadors for Christ, to be on mission for him. So our world is in chaos. And people that you meet are in chaos. Just like I said, that ambassador didn't know what she was going to face on a day basis. When you walk out of these doors, you're going to meet people who are in chaos. They're having extreme difficulties. And it is our job to step into the mess to run to the guns, to be there to represent Jesus Christ. And so when others seek to promote themselves, we reject that me-first culture. When people try to get us to fight about uh, male and female and race and, and other things, we, we, we stop and, and we stand in the gap and we say, no, we are, we are new creations and others are new creations. We're going to reject that when people make a mistake, we don't just reject them and cancel them and, and throw them away. We see their potential. And when people try to make us hate other people, um, we are part of God's message that, that, that we are reconciled to him. We refuse that. That's what being ambassador means. You see, Paul, again, is not calling us for behavior modification, but a new life, which cannot but help represent Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to be successful, we have to live as ambassadors of Christ. Well, ambassadors need a message. And that's the last part we want to look at today. What's the, what's the third part of living on mission? Well, you have to have a clear and succinct message to share. And verse 20 and 21 gives us that. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And um, verse 21 is uh, all the Bible is powerful. This is, this is the succinct uh, message of the gospel. This is our message as ambassadors. Verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what is our message? Our message is one of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means that we are actively going around telling ourselves and telling other people that we can be reconciled with Christ, that reconciliation is possible. So what's the, what's the opposite of reconciliation? It's alienation. Alienation versus reconciliation. Now here's the key, I believe, to this, is that we have to preach the rebellion of men's hearts. We have to preach the need for Jesus Christ. You see, um, deep down in all of our hearts, um, we believe that we're basically good until you come in contact with the gospel. You believe that you're basically pretty good. And if you go out and you talk to people and you ask them, are you going to heaven? And if so, why? You know, most of them go, I hope so. And I think I'm pretty good. You know, if you put me um, on a scale, I try to do more good things than bad things. And, 
And, um, you know, that is sort of a prevailing mindset um, uh, for people who are interested uh, at all in the gospel. And that is not what we preach. We preach that we are rebellious, that deep down we are not good. We have to share the message that we are uh, enemies with Christ. You are enemies with him. You are um, in this cosmic treason with Christ. But because of Colossians 1.21, our relationship has been restored. And you, who were once alienated with hostile and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled to his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So this is our message. That God in the person of his son has intervened to reverse our estrangement. Repentant sinners can affirm Jesus as Lord and trust in his completed work. And this is the beauty. Our long list of crimes against God were charged to Jesus. And God credits Jesus' righteousness to us as if we had lived it. That truth is our only hope of gaining right standing with our creator. You know what frustrates me about all these things in society that people are arguing about? I don't care what it is. Um, Like I said, some of the, the political things that pop up, that's the only answer. It's the only answer. Um, The only answer is to understand who you are in light of the gospel and to share that with other people. If you understand that, if you understand the gospel, it's impossible to be a racist, to be a sexist, to be a um, whatever kind of other S that you want to be. It's impossible to do that. And so we hold that out. We hold that out that none of us are worthy and only Christ is worthy and that he's reconciled us. You know, the truth is we were at war. And I, I think um, back through history, you know, whenever um, armies have traditionally conquered other armies, um, you know, they're at their mercy. And so those armies can come in and they can demand the execution. They can actually kill everybody if they want. Um, you know, if you look back in our great civil war and sort of the end of that and when Lee and Grant were together, you know, they didn't know exactly what was going to be required of them. And you're just at the mercy of those people. And so what I'm trying to convey today is that we lost. (laughs) We have lost to Jesus and God, and he's demanding righteousness, and he's coming to us. And the bad news is he's demanding our life. But in the greatest curveball ever thrown, he says, but but I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to take that alienation and make it reconciliation. And that is the only hope that we have. But this has to be personal. And that's the other point today. As we're on ambassadors on message, we can't be preaching at people. We have to share the gospel as it relates to us. We have to tell them what God has done for us. Some of you have heard me say this before. I was in a, a very uh, legalistic environment. I was raised in church. I thought I was good. I thought I was God's gift to God. I thought he was lucky to have me on his team, right? And so I was going through my life. I had the wrong motivation. I had it all, had it all wrong, and yet he would never leave me alone. He kept, he kept bugging me. He kept chasing me. He kept pulling me, and he grabbed me until the love of Christ began to 
control me. And ultimately, he paid for it. Do you see the beauty in that? Do you feel that in your life? I'll propose to you, if you don't, your message is not going to resonate with other people. You have to set in that beauty. See, he's not just calling us to preach morality, but the reconciliation that we have experienced. And if we are going to be successful in our vision, we must tell our story of Jesus Christ. And so in conclusion today, I just want to ask you this. What would it look like if we took the Great Commission seriously? What would that look like? Um, it's easy to, to read those words and to say, yeah, that's, that's great. You know, y'all go get them. But what would it look like if, if we were part of that? We aim to raise up men and women to be ministers. We want to equip and send at least 10 men to plant new campuses or churches. So for us to live on mission, there's three things, takeaways. Number one, we've got to love Jesus above everything. We have to be so in love with him and his, his life has to control us that we are crucified. This must be our motive. We have to be ambassadors in all situations in life. We live as his representative, cast aside ourselves and show the light of the world. This has got to be our mode. And then last is we've got to tell our story. We have to tell what Christ has done for us. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. We have to preach reconciliation. We have to preach it to ourselves. And this must be our message. So I want to leave you with this today. Um, vision isn't just to inform you. So we do want you to leave informed, but we want to leave transformed. We want to leave changed. So we don't seek spectators to witness the work of the Spirit, but we want those who will witness it and who will labor in the vineyard of God. Where do you see yourself in this mission today? We ask you to pray. We ask you to pray for that. We ask you to pray that God would show you where you fit in. And we ask that he would bless it. And if not, that he would show us where he wants us to work. And we ask you to invest your time, your talent, your treasure. We ask you to spend your life to see others restored with the gospel for God's glory. Let's pray. God, we come to you um, again this morning and um, we commit our vision to you. Uh, we commit our lives to you. We say, if the Lord wills, um, we know that you are perfect. We know that your plan is perfect. We know that um, you will build your church in the way that you see fit. I pray, though, that you would inspire us uh, to live on mission. I pray that our motives would be right. Lord, search our hearts, convict us where our motives are not right. Frustrate us with that. Come to us with your spirit. Motivate us, change us. Take our hearts of stone and make it a heart of flesh. I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us through that to be ambassadors for you. Uh, that we would be people in all situations that are about your business, not our own. And I pray that you would inspire us so much with the gospel that we can't help but share that message. Lord, I pray for those in here today who need reconciliation. Those of us who feel alienated and far away, whatever, for whatever reason, I pray that your spirit would come to them and give them faith and assurance. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.